right. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark 7. And as you get there, I would like to just sort of frame up our time today. We've spent a majority of this year studying very closely the gospel according to Mark. And throughout this study, we've been continually confronted with the beauty, the humanity, the authority, the deity of Jesus Christ. Mark writes to us, informing us that Jesus is a king unlike any other king we've ever experienced. That unlike any ruler or, or leader in this world that you and I are familiar with. And like a good king, he establishes a kingdom. Not in the traditional sense. There is no physical kingdom, but rather the kingdom is global in scope. It is not a a kingdom of a particular nation or belonging to a particular race. No, this kingdom is for every nation and every race, for every tribe and every tongue. And enthroned in this kingdom is King Jesus. Mark is clear. Clear to us, clear in his writing about who Jesus is. That's the work he's doing in this letter. It's the picture he's painting with his pen. It's the story he's telling with his words that Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament things. That every, everything God has spoken through his prophets from prophecies to promises As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in in Jesus all things are yes. Which is to say that Jesus is the culmination of everything in the Old Testament. He is the embodiment of the word spoken. In him is the fulfillment of every law and practice. In him we have access to an amazing faith. A faith that is both wonder and worship. But family, there is a reality that we must reconcile with while we remain in this life. Although in Christ... We find new life, new thoughts, new feelings, new ways of living. Our hearts remain deceitful. Family, this morning you gather here possibly with some notions about the faith that may not be true. Even more importantly and much more dangerously, you may have patterned your life, built a system of values and identity even. In a gospel that is not the gospel Mark has so clearly and uniquely conveyed for us. That's a tough thing, a confusing thing to hear. Maybe you can feel the self-defense sort of well up inside of you. But let's let the text make its case. We are far enough in Mark's letter that both the writing patterns of Mark and the themes at play are much more easier for us to see than before. Our text this morning is another encounter, another conversation, another verbal bout with the Pharisees about the interpretations of the law, the interpretations or the understanding of the Old Testament writings. We've seen this before, right? Jesus has corrected the Pharisees' view on the Sabbath. He's corrected their view on being around or associating with the least, the lost, and the the last. And he's corrected their view about fasting. We've seen these interactions, these conversations before. But this conversation this morning, 
contains within it for us a warning. A warning against living, believing, placing value in something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. A warning that is, taking, that is against taking hold of a religion that is not found in the freedom of Jesus, but one that our hearts are so prone to take up nonetheless. And so I've tagged our time today, Matters of the Heart. Matters of the heart, as we see what Jesus has to say about our holiness, our heart, and our hope. So would you stand for the reading of God's word, and then would you join me in a word of prayer as we hear from him this morning. You'll have to forgive me this morning. I don't have the text up there. I know that's really inconsistent of me, but uh, it's just a long text. We got a lot to read today, so uh, I didn't get to it. But we're going to be Mark chapter 7. Starting in verse 1. And it reads like this. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him. With some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. Holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy what well did, sorry, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever would have gained from me is korban, that is, uh, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said, hear me, all of you and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, 
coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Mighty God, we need you this morning to sustain us yet again. We thank you for the gift of your word, but we need your help to hear it. We need your help to receive it. We need your help to let it make of us what we are not. Would you bless this time in your word? Nourish us, strengthen us, correct us, encourage us. Would you give me as the preacher with clarity of speech and thought? And would you give the congregation with attentiveness and grace for my errors? In Christ Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. With a show of hands or maybe even a nod, because Keith, you'll speak and no, I won't hear nobody. <laughs> How many of you have family traditions? Things that you just do regularly, right? We have a tradition in my home around Christmas time, well, at Christmas time, uh, two things. First, we, we give the kids, or we have the kids figure out uh, which of their toys is ready to be given away. And there's one rule, it's got to be in good condition. It can't be broken or ripped, and so we get a box, sometimes big, sometimes small, and we set, a we set aside uh, the toys that, that they're going to get ready to part with and we donate them away either to church nurseries or underserviced cities and we kind of just try and get the kids in the habit of giving. Also, life hack, you're about to get a whole bunch in. So get some out. <laughs> the second thing is on Christmas morning, before we open presents, we pray at the tree. We pray for our hearts to be filled with gladness and gratitude and for the provision of those who do not have both of these traditions that we have in my home. Uh, they, they, they're there to serve, hopefully, biblical principles, generous living, gratitude, a pleading to avoid idolatry. That's the hope, right? Not just for the kids, but for us as parents. So why do I share this with you? It's not to boast in what we do. It's not to give you uh, ideas of what you should do. But by all means, if that speaks to you, go ahead and do it. But rather, no matter how good our intentions may be, traditions can oftentimes, more often than we like to admit, be more distracting and damaging than serving the purpose or goal in its institution. Our text this morning deals with the concept of traditions, but traditions gone wrong. Well, more than just the simplicity of dealing with our traditions, Jesus is speaking to our hearts. Our natural bend to create idols and find for ourselves salvation and redemption. Jesus has gone around performing miracles and wonders. His fame is increasing. And after leaving for Bethsaida, verses 53 of 56 of chapter 6 show us that Jesus actually lands in Gennesaret. He continues to do many miracles and preaches the gospel. And this draws the opposition out. 
The Pharisees and scribes are sent from Jerusalem to go see the commotion that Jesus has been causing throughout this region. But there is another agenda at work here. If you remember, the last time we heard from the Pharisees and the scribes, they were already planning Jesus' death. They had already began to plot, to scheme for how they were going to get Jesus to die. That is where they are at right now. They are finished with him. Their tolerance has ran thin. And in this conversation, you get to sort of see why. Jesus is eating with the disciples, and the Pharisees try to bring a charge before him. They want to convict him of breaking the law of Moses. They want to convict him, right? They want to uh, 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 corner him, right? Because cornering him in this way, very publicly, getting it out like that, uh, what they hope would happen is that Jesus' influence, his authority over the people would be weakened. The people would sort of look around and go, oh, he's a rule breaker. I don't want to follow him. And so it would cause others to question Jesus, to consider him, like they do, a heretic. So they corner Jesus, they ask him, why aren't your disciples washing before eating? They think they have him here. Gotcha. You messed up, buddy. But let's pull back a second. The law that the Pharisees are questioning Jesus about is not the law of God. It's not the Bible. That they're questioning Jesus on. Jesus has not sinned. In fact, he or sinned. He never sins. They don't question him. They don't say, why aren't you washing? But instead they say, why aren't the disciples following the law? But even in this law, there is not a sacrament or a command that is being broken. They are accusing Jesus. Well, Jesus' disciples. And by extension, Jesus as their rabbi of breaking something called the Mishnah. It's a compilation, a collection of Jewish oral laws. Not the text. It's not the scriptures. It's the tradition, the oral laws. And these were things that over time became laws that were equal in authority to the law of scripture. So you have these traditions, things that get spoken that carry the same authority as what's in the text. And they were especially concerned for the idea of spiritual cleanliness. Traditionally, these cleanliness laws about washing were washing before eating, washing before going to the temple, just washing all the time. They were washing all the time. But in the scriptures, these, these laws of Moses... They were not laws for the people. They were laws for the, pre- for the priests. And this was important. It was to symbolize the cleanliness spiritually of the great high priest to come. It was to serve as a reminder that there is one who is to come that stands as a great mediator for man and God. It serves as a reminder that the one who is to come satisfies the law of God. So this law, this cleanliness law, is important in its original intention. But by now, by the time of Jesus, the standards for the priests have somehow become the standards for every practicing Jew. It's an obsession now. It's removed from the original intention. So now you just have to wash. Now now you just have to wash all the time. 
You have to wash you. You have to wash everything you own. You have to wash your cushions, your furniture, your hands, the floors. You, you, not just because it's good manners. Not because it's just the right thing to do. Because you could have touched a Gentile. That was the thing. That's why they said, when we come out of the marketplace, you got to wash. You could have touched a Gentile. If you eat without washing or have a sickness or an odor or any kind of bodily excrement you have t- or have taken in any Gentile uncleanliness, which could mean that a Gentile touched your hand, which could mean that a Gentile touched something, put it down, and then you came and you touched it. If you've done that and then you ate without washing, you're ceremonially unclean, doomed. People's morality, and not just morality, but spiritual health, was judged by the keeping of traditions rather than the sacred scriptures. There's a word in here about superstitious Christians, but I'm not doing that today. There is another layer here that is still more sad. It's the Jews who were supposed to be the light to the Gentiles. Their laws, these laws, at their origin, at their heart, served to create in the Jews people separated for God. Separated. So that the Gentiles may see the Jews and see that there is a God who loves people who are separated. That there is a people separated onto himself and one day they can ask God, I want that too. But these oral laws, these traditions haven't given light to the Gentiles. It's created a superiority complex in the Jews. There's Christian nationalism before Christian nationalism was a thing. It's the taking of a good thing, twisting it, making it a man-made thing. So now the good thing has become an evil thing. So the Pharisees lay this charge before Jesus very publicly. And Jesus responds to them with true penetrating words in verse 6. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? That's heavy. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Didn't Isaiah talk about people like you? That's what Jesus is saying. Isaiah, Isaiah was talking about people like you, hypocrites like you. It's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship, teaching doctrines... As the commandments of men. That's what he says. Jesus responds to them by weighing their law against God's word. He says, you have your word, your tradition, your religiosity as equal to the authority of God's word. And that makes you a hypocrite. It is so bad. Jesus is like getting at these boys so bad that he uses the law to debunk the law. You tracking what I'm saying? He says... Jesus knows the game they're playing. He's ready to engage. He criticizes their upholding of these oral laws in exchange for upholding the word of God as the ultimate authority and does so by pointing out the hypocrisy of using the law of Korban. What does that mean? Korban is the the claiming of something as an offering to God. So, for example, under the law of Korban, you could declare all of your possessions, your property, anything of value as Korban. You could say this is an offering to God. It's untouchable. And so, therefore, if your parent 
in their old age would become financially unstable and would need your help, would need your assistance, you could say, I can't help you because all of my property, all of my belongings, everything of value is korban. Now, korban's not in the scripture, right? What's in the scripture is honor your father and mother. Some of you are like, this is a good idea, though. We should probably institute this. Terrible. But Jesus says, he says, how could you honor your father and mother, which is actually the law of God? How could you do that with Korban? You can't, and therefore you contradict yourself. The tone in Jesus' reply here is actually upsetting. He's angry right now. This whole section from verse 6 down, Jesus is actually upset. He says, you call yourself religious, you call yourselves teachers of the word, and yet you worship God in vain. You fail to honor God's word as the supreme authority. There's a word for us. And Jesus' criticism to the Pharisees. Family, if you honor anything alongside the Bible... You give that thing the same authority as the Bible. That that could be your feeling. That could be your fears. That could be your traditions. That could be your culture. That could be your politics. That could be your desired way of living. You fail to worship God no matter how you slice it, no matter how you justify it, you contradict yourself. Jesus says, hypocrite. Once more, as much as we don't want to, We find ourselves in the position of the Pharisees. Now this could seem archaic or ancient to you. You could be asking, how could that be? I'm far from a legalist. But family, I ask you to search yourself this morning. Has your good intentions, your good designs, your tradition, have they become hindrances to the faith of others? Have they become hindrances to your own faith? And this might be hard for you to assess initially because we may be a little self-defensive at first. Especially if, like the washing laws, these things have been upheld in your family for generations, a while. And you may say, but this thing comes from Scripture. This is is a good thing. I, I made this. I pray at the Christmas tree. That's a good thing, right? But it was the washing no different. God, give us eyes to see ourselves in light of your word this morning. Parents, think about your children. What traditions, what practices, by your good intentions, are actually hindering them? Because you uphold them with the same authority that you hold God's word. Think about your politics, your ethics, your money habits. What is your life preaching? What in your life has become more shaping, more central to you than the gospel? Don't leave here without asking this question, pondering the many layers of this influence over your life. Think about your own soul. Have you become judgmental because of the standards in which you have for yourself? And the routines that you have for yourself are not upheld by others. Do you believe that the world would be better? That life would be better if everyone just adopted your Mishnah? Your compilation of traditions and values? Are you, like the Pharisees here, blind to the depths of your own perils? There is still hope for us. Jesus is calling us 
to abandon these traditions and laws, to take up something else instead. To live under the authority of something else instead. Something more powerful. Something more changing. Here's my point. The authority of God. That is to say the authority of Jesus is equal to the authority of Scripture. I want to paint these two things. Christ and Scripture together. So supremacy of Christ. This is why we've been studying Mark. To see Jesus' authority and behold it as supremely authoritative to anything else in this world. This is why we're seeing Jesus so closely, why we're examining his every word, his every feeling, his every action. And what we've tasted and seen is that Jesus's entire being is informed by the word of God because Jesus has held up the scriptures as the same supreme authority as his deity. Oh, you're not hearing what I'm saying this morning. Jesus is saying ain't nothing more authoritative than God's word. Nothing in this world has the same power to heal, power to free, power to change, power to save than the word of God. I wish you were excited about what's in your hands this morning. Jesus says, what you've done, Pharisee, is put your man-made traditions on equal footing with the text. And all that has done, all that has gotten you is distraction, distraction from your hope. Detraction from your mission, creating you a false sense of salvation, a false sense of change, a false sense of freedom, and a false sense of healing in your heart, ultimately leading to a false witness to others about the excellencies of God, a false testimony to the true power and authority of the scriptures. Why does Mark write this to us? Because Jesus is the I am. You remember last week? Because Jesus is the I am, because Jesus is the second person of the triune God, because Jesus is the perfect keeper of the law. That means the way he lives is the way God is. That means the way he feels is what God feels. That means the way he's, what he says is the very word of God. Church, we've been studying Mark long enough to know that this is good news for us. Amen. And we should know by now that this is good news enough to remember every day. But in case you forgot, let me remind you, Jesus is God when he calls you out from among the crowd and declares unto you, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus is God when he sees a people longing for a Messiah, longing for hope, longing for someone to follow, longing for a king, and he is moved with compassion for them. Jesus is God when in his humanity lives a perfect life, dies for your sins as your substitute so that now his perfect life is attributed to you for all eternity so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Family, this is good news for us today. You don't have to say amen. I know it's true. The supremacy of Christ. But there's still more to unpack. The supremacy of Christ is not the only point here. Mark is using this moment to show us that the way we know that The way we know about the supremacy of Jesus, the way our lives are changed by that, is because of the supremacy of Scripture. You cannot separate God from His Word. Which is why you cannot separate Christ from the Word. This is why John opened his gospel account in the way that he does. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of the Word. And we know that, not only because scriptures declare it so, but because scripture is forever on Jesus' lips. 
Scripture has always been forever on Jesus' lips. Think about back to chapter 1. In the desert, Jesus is being assaulted by Satan. And what does Jesus say in reply to him every single time? Jesus says, it is written, it is written, it is written. He even says, man shall not live by bread alone. Essentially saying, I eat God's word. It is inside of me. It nourishes me. In every synagogue, in every temple that we've read about Jesus going to, what does he say? He reads the scriptures. He reads the prophets. And he tells the people, all this has been fulfilled in me. At the cross, facing his death, facing the most brutal killing imaginable what comes out of him was what was in him the entire time the word psalm 22 1 why have you forsaken me O god psalm 31 verse 5 into thy hands i commit my spirit i'm just saying you cannot have jesus and you cannot have scripture apart from each other they're together you cannot have a relationship with jesus and be indifferent to his word you cannot claim christ and yet not have the very basis on which jesus's life was built on he says that is hypocritical you cannot have one without the other and yet and yet church this here is not a lesson on Christian living but rather it is a lesson on the state of the human heart what Jesus is ultimately saying this is our third and final point is true Christianity True faith in Christ has always been about the heart. It's always been about the heart. God will not be satisfied with words. God will not be satisfied with behavior modification. God will not be satisfied with theological understanding and depth. He won't be satisfied with public acts. He wants your heart. And we've seen this play out throughout the whole study of Mark. The heart is the control center. It is the steering wheel of our lives. Out of the heart flows your value system, your beliefs, your motives, your thoughts, your desires. What rules your heart rules you. And that is why the matters of the heart are important. Is it Christ and his gospel? Is it Christ and his gospel? Or is it the things of this world? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it your money? Is it your sense of security? Is it your safety? What rules your heart? God, through the prophet Isaiah, makes this shocking pronouncement. I hate your assemblies. I hate your sacrifices. They're an abomination to me. Why would God say this to man? Because he's created us to be worshipers. And instead of worshiping him, we spend all week worshiping ourselves, worshiping stuff, worshiping others. True faith is a matter of the heart. True obedience is a matter of the heart. That's why when Jesus preaches, he doesn't ever preach morals to us. He preaches the heart. On the Sermon of the Mount, he moves the goalposts of the law. From behavior to heart motivations. Because out of the heart comes our behavior. And that's, that's where we find temptation. The gravitation towards our works. That's where the focus 
where we focus not on the fruits of the spirit, but the tools inside our tool bag. We create systems, patterns, standards of living, legalistic approaches, moralistic environments, and hold them sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly to the authority of God's word to create in others, to create in ourselves what can only be made by a new creation of the heart. And what does this, and what this does is misdefines and mislocates our struggles with sin. The heart of the problem is our hearts. Look at verse 14. And he called to them, to the people, and said to them, hear me all of you and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. It's the redemption of bacon there. Praise God. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come a list of sins. And they are what defile a person. Jesus calls everyone to himself, right? This is a very public moment. Pharisees trying to corner him. And Jesus looks around after he talks with the Pharisees. He looks around to the people. He says, everybody come here. Everybody come. Everybody come. Disciple, Pharisee, passerby. He says, the fundamental problem with human existence lies in the far-reaching defilement of the human heart. Our problem is an internal one. Acts of external behaviors do not, cannot solve our problem. It is not what comes into a person that defiles him. It is what comes out of a person. It's within the human heart that the evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveted, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness come. They come from within us. Your greatest nightmares are not outside of you. They're in you. So then what is your hope? What is your hope? What do we do with that when we hear that the worst thing, the things that we, that keep us up at night are not outside. They're actually inside. What do we do about that? What we need is a heart change. What we need is a death and a resurrection. What we need is a new life, a right spirit, clean hands. These cleansing laws, they, they, they were meant for the high priest. They were meant for the high priest, the person who acted as the people's mediator with God. But that law, that role is fulfilled in Jesus. 
In Jesus, the dirty are made clean. In Jesus, the defiled are refined. In Jesus, the hopeless become hopeful. The lost become found. The light drives away the dark. In Jesus, you can have a new heart. A heart that when the evils of its nature creep up in you, confesses the excellencies of Jesus in its place. A heart that when it's tempted to rely on its own works to create change, remembers the words of scriptures that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved For for the scriptures say everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing all his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Stand with me in worship.